Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you're in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. Okay. Father, we just thank you for the things that we have seen tonight. Thank you for your power. So evident in your blood, Lord Jesus. Power to forgive us of all of our sin, heal us of all of our disease, set our minds right and messed up, deliver us from all guilt and condemnation. Thank you that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So we just come before you today and purify our hearts before you and open our hearts to receive your word, Lord. I just thank you that your presence is here for wherever two or more of us are gathered together in your name, that you are there in our midst. Thank you that you care for all of our needs and before we even ask, you know what we have need of, Lord. And I just thank you, Lord the power in your blood tonight in our lives, in the lives of our family, the lives of this church. I think that by your blood, you gather our families together, you set a hedge of protection around our lives. By your blood, Lord, we are healed. By your blood, we are saved. And we proclaim the message of your word that not only are we saved, but that all of our households shall be saved, Lord. I just thank you for that this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to have you open up Revelation chapter 13. And we were there last week. But I wanted just to talk a few minutes about the mark of the beast, just for a few minutes. And then we're going to move on into chapter 14. I didn't really have enough time to finish there in chapter 13 last week. So in chapter 13, if you remember... Uh, it's telling us about two beasts, and the first one is what we would call the Antichrist, and the second one, the false prophet. And it says in verse 16 of chapter 13 that he, speaking about the second beast, about the false prophet, that he causes all, the small and the great, and the rich and the poor, and the free men and the slaves, to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead, and he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. Well, this uh, number 666, 666, and this mark of the beast, uh, is is obviously one of the most famous parts of the book of Revelation. If somebody doesn't know anything about the book of Revelation, they know about this, or at least they've heard of it, and uh, it's something that Christians know about, Muslims know about, people all around the world know about. And it's really quite interesting because in verse 18, it says, here is wisdom, let him who has understanding, and yet, it seems like we don't have understanding or wisdom to understand exactly what it is. And I, I think that's actually quite important because a part of the book of Revelation, the big part of the book of Revelation, is that we be ready. And so that tells me that we will have wisdom. 
when we need that wisdom and we will have understanding when we need that understanding. And last week we talked a little bit about it and uh, just I made some comments about how uh, we have been being conditioned to receive the mark of the beast probably for several generations. And uh, uh, they definitely were in the, at the time that John was writing this. If you remember, we've come with the history of that time that they were required by law to worship the emperor. And if you did not worship the emperor, then you could be put to death. And uh, there was, a, in the book of Hebrews talks about this also in the book of Revelation, there was a significant, we know from history, a significant number of Christians that were compromising with that emperor worship. Because really all you had to do was just show up once a year and throw a little pinch of incense onto an altar and say a few words. You didn't really have to do anything. Uh, you could. You didn't have to believe it, is what I'm saying, and you didn't have to go to some emperor temple and worship him every month. You basically just had to show up once a year, pay a tax, and say that you worship the emperor. So I, I think if we looked for it, we could find thousands of things in our society that could be comparable uh, to that. And I think over the past few years, we've seen many things uh, where uh, basically you'll be persecuted and in some cases you will not be able to buy or sell. You will not be able to keep your job or stay in college or do something else if you don't do something that the government is commanding you to do. And so overall that's one piece of wisdom we have here is that there's a complete lack of individual freedom and not a free market but a market that's completely controlled by the government, but it's not only the government of the first beast, but that of, it is the government of the first beast, but it's being preached or propagated by the government, government, the religious power of the second beast, the false prophet. So whether we understand what 666 stands for or not, and none of us understand it or know for sure what it stands for, this is something that we should always keep in our mind and in our understanding. Because when the time comes, we should know these things and be able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to us. So let's just go through this just a little bit. Uh, first thing I want to draw your attention to is that he causes all people to receive the mark. Uh, so you don't have a choice. And your only choice is to be left out. That you cannot buy or sell anymore. And that the false prophet is causing that to happen. The second thing and we've talked several times about this, but the word mark is not the same as the word seal when it talks about that the voice from heaven tells the angel to put the seal of God in the foreheads of the saints. So we have two markings, if you will, or two signs put on eventually on all the people of the earth. Either you have the seal of God on your forehead or you have the mark of the beast on your forehead or on your right hand. The word mark is the Greek word, and it's really rare in the Bible, but it's the Greek word haragma, and haragma means very literally a brand or a tattoo. It's a cutting or an etching of the skin or even a burning of the skin. And so I think we're pretty familiar with branding animals. We're definitely familiar with tattoos, and it requires a cutting of the skin 
it requires uh, some sort of uh, mutilation or damage to be done to the skin for that to be left on there. Very different from the word seal, completely different from the word seal. It's something that's a permanent marking and the word karagma means that it's engraved uh, by a sharp instrument. So we, we need to see that there's a difference between this and that. There's a difference between what the beast is doing and what God is doing. Okay, and it says that uh, here that it is the name of the beast. Uh, it says he provides no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. And what, it, like I told you last week, I can't tell you exactly what that means because we haven't seen it yet. But when we see it, we should know it. So it's the name of the beast and it's the number of his name. So if you remember the name of God, and we'll see that tonight if we get that far, the name of God is a part of that seal, the name of Yahweh. His name is upon us, that we belong to him. So the whole idea in scripture, uh, and if, if you have a tattoo, I'm not, again, saying this, I'm not preaching against tattoos, okay? But, but the whole idea in scripture of a tattoo and why in the law it says that they should not tattoo themselves is it was a branding to show that you were a slave and that you belonged to the, to the one that had put the tattoo uh, on you. And it was something really common, whether you belonged to that God that you worship. It was very common in the ancient world as it is today. Uh, and in the ancient world, it was very common among the heathen. And so God for, forbid, he forbade the, the Israelites to have tattoos in, in the law. Again, I'm not going to apply that today. You can apply it to yourself if you want to, <laughs> whatever you want to do with that. But we need that, that understanding. It doesn't matter how popular tattoos become. Uh, that's what this is, okay? And when you receive this, it shows that you belong to the beast, that you've pledged allegiance to the beast, and that you are uh, a part of his system. And so it says it's his name, but it could also be, it says either the name of the beast or the number of his name. So we see in this that his name is represented by numbers. Um, that's something that in the ancient world was fairly common also. It's called gematria, and it was a way that uh, in, the, in the Hebrew language, for example, and in other ancient languages, they didn't have numbers. So the Hebrew language doesn't have numbers, but the letters represent numbers. Like the, the letter alpha, the first letter in the alphabet is the number one and so on. So if you had a number, you could put together a name. It could be like a code for somebody's, somebody's name. Well, it's much more common today. I mean, we have numbers everywhere. Everything is, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, done with, uh, uh, it's got a Russian word stuck in my head. See, oh boy, what is it, Frank? <laughs> digital. Everything is digital today. And uh, because the Russian word is very close to the word number, cipher, and cipher word like cipher. So everything is digital today. The word digital means you count on your fingers, digits, you know, and, and everything is done with numbers. I mean, our whole computer system, Frank can tell you about, is based on a binary system, right? And you've got, you've got numbers. Basically, you've got the number one and the number zero put into all kinds of combinations. And everything you see on the screen has, has, is, is made out of numbers. Our whole lives are surrounded by numbers. Uh, so it also has the number of his name. 
So we believe that we will have wisdom and understanding given to us if we have an ear to hear and we will listen to the Holy Spirit. So let me tell you some, num some things about the number 666, okay? The first thing is this. Uh, six in the scripture, different numbers have different meanings and when they are used symbolically. And six is the number of man. It's the number of man. And it even says that very clearly here. It says, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. Six is the number of man because man is created on the sixth day. Six is the number of incompletion because creation is complete on the seventh day. Just as seven is the number of fulfillment, and eight is the number of a new beginning, the number of resurrection. Jesus was raised on the eighth day. And so what, one thing that we have here is we have a trinity of sixes, six and six and six, the dragon, the antichrist, and the false prophet. That's one meaning that we can read into this. Um, then here's a few more things. Uh, if you triangulate, and if you don't know how to do that, look it up online, uh, the triangular of 666 is 36, and the triangular of 36 is the number 8. And this is what I'm saying to you, are not things that I've made up. These are things going back to church fathers that they've talked about that perhaps could be meanings to this. And in Revelation 17, 11, we see that the beast is the eighth kingdom that arises out of the seventh, that was, is not, and will go to destruction. Um, and then throughout history, you can find lots of examples of actual names that work out with the number 666. If you've ever read War and Peace, which you probably didn't, you probably should someday, there is one person in War and Peace, his, his name is Pierre, and uh, he, there's a whole chapter that Tolstoy wrote where he's worked out and he shows with numbers that Napoleon is the Antichrist because he took his name Napoleon and using this system of numbers to letters, worked out the number 666. Uh, in the second century, in the second century, the church father, Irenaeus, uh, he worked it out also that way, and he worked it out that 666 was the equivalent of the word Latinus, Latinos in Greek. And Latinos is the name of, it means the Roman Empire. And if you transliterate it to Hebrew, transliterate to Hebrew, then 666 also works out to be Neron Caesar, or Nero the Caesar, Caesar Nero. Um, and that could go on and on, because you could look this up online, you probably find a hundred more examples of these things, okay? Um, also, if you take the word in Greek, Therion, which is the beast, that's the Greek word for beast, and transliterate it to Hebrew, it also comes out to 666. So we don't know what it is, but it is something. And I think our first clue to it is not ciphering out uh, what name matches those numbers, but to know that when there comes a false prophet, I think we had one a couple of years ago, that commands everyone to receive some kind of mark without which you cannot buy or sell, then we're getting really close to this uh, moment in, in time. Uh, let me give you one more thing on that. If you go over to Daniel chapter 3, Daniel chapter 3, I think I've already talked about this in another lesson, but let's just look at it again. Daniel chapter 3. 
in Daniel chapter 3 and in verse 1. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold. This is the image that he required everyone to bow down to. And this one, what I'm going to give you right now, we definitely have to include in our understanding. This is right here in the Bible. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, and its width 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And this is the one that he commanded everyone to bow down to. So this is a place in Scripture that matches over to Revelation. The height of the image that he commanded, and, and obviously in Revelation chapter 13, references being made to the image, right? Because the false prophet uh, makes an image to the Antichrist, and he causes it to be able to speak, and everyone has to bow down and worship it. And that image has these numbers encrypted into it also, 60 and 6. Now, there's not a 600 in there, but there is 60 and 6. And 600 in the scripture, the only reference to 600 is the age of Noah when the flood came to destroy the earth. So that's also a very remarkable Old Testament story that uses the number 600. So whatever it is, it definitely has to do with selling out to the Antichrist, bowing down to worship him. I believe, uh, judging from the things that we've seen in our world and from the text of what's written in Revelation, that it will be actually a physical mark that a person will have to take. Whether you can see it or not see it, I don't know. I mean, we have the technology of chips today. Everybody's been talking about chips, and, and it's there. It could very easily be. And every chip is encoded digitally, and so there's the number of the name. I mean, everything is right before us today. It's, it's very easy to see this happening. I remember when I was a kid hearing people talk about social security numbers. That might, that might be it, you know. I remember in Russia, when I lived there, they introduced social security numbers. They had not had them before. And the Orthodox, Russian Orthodox Church, officially took a stand against them because they said that's the mark of, of the beast. Well, again, I'm not saying that I have a social security number. You can't even help but have one. You're forced to have one. But, but that's not the mark of the beast. But it is a conditioning that we prepare ourselves to just say yes to everything the government says you have to have in order to buy and sell. Uh, if you're old enough, and I am, uh, some of you, well, everybody in here is probably old enough, I think. But <laughs> except Frank. Um, you're old enough, you remember you didn't get a social security number until you needed it to go to work. I remember I got my social security number when I was 15 years old. But with all of my kids, every single one of them has to get a social security number when they're born. I mean, as soon as they're born, so it's no longer a social security number as much as it is a mark of identification. You know, and, and so all this stuff is in our world today, and where we need to be is in walking in a place where we are ready, where uh, we have an ear to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us, and where we are prepared to not be able to buy or sell. You know, are we prepared to not be able to buy or sell? It doesn't say they won't be able to trade. It doesn't say they won't be able to garden. It doesn't say they won't be able to eat anything. And I'm not talking about you know storing up beans and rice, although not a bad idea if you can. Uh, but what I am talking about is walking by faith. Know that like Elijah, that he, he was walked by faith and God fed him 
during the time of the drought that God sent on the earth. Okay, so let's go on to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. And Revelation chapter 14, if you took those notes, that's the beginning, the way I've divided the book up, of the biggest part of the book. So this is going to be from Revelation 14 through 20, because most of the book, most of the book of Revelation is focusing on the second coming of Jesus. After all, that's what the book is about. And so this part is all dealing with the second coming of Jesus at the time of the seventh trumpet. Remember that, according to the chronology, we are at the time of the seventh trumpet in the book of Revelation. There are seven seals. In the seventh seal are the seven trumpets. And in the seventh trumpet, we will see that there are seven more bowls to be poured out of God's wrath. So let's look at Revelation chapter 14. And I'm going to begin reading with verse 1. We'll read verses 1 through 5. It says in chapter 14, verse 1, Then I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000. We've seen them already, right? Having his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. It's what we've just been talking about. And I heard a voice from heaven. See, these, these verses, they're, if you take away the chapter markings and the verse markings, which weren't there in the original, they're right next to each other. There's the mark of the beast, and then there's the which is the name of the beast on your forehead or your right hand. And then there's the name of the Father and the name of the Lamb of God, the name of Jesus, written on their foreheads. That's the seal of God is his name. And the name of Jesus and the name of the Father is Yahweh. It's the name of God, the name that he revealed to Moses at the burning bush. I am who I am. And this name is written on their foreheads, it says. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the sound of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. And the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. So when I read that, it's a little bit hard to do in a setting like this, but when I read that, I try to imagine those sounds all blended together. The sound of many harpists. I don't know if you've ever heard many harpists. I have just a few times. Uh, we don't have that much of that kind of music now, but I have been to operas, I've been to ballets, I've been to, uh, to the uh, Philharmonic productions, you know, and you'll have several harpists or many stringed instruments playing at once, and it's an amazing and beautiful sound, and everyone knows what the sound of loud thunder is like, and the sound of rushing waters is like. So there's beauty in this, and there's power in this, and there's great volume in this voice. And it says, they, they are singing a new song before the throne, and before the four living creatures. Who's singing? The 144,000. What a choir. And, um, and the elders. And no one could learn the song except for the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. So it's a song that you can't learn to sing unless you've been purchased by the Father. These are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they have kept themselves chaste, or literally they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been purchased from among men as first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And no lie was found in their mouth. They are blameless. Well, let's talk about this just for a few minutes. So we see the Lamb of God in verse 1, and we see that he is on Mount Zion. 
So he's no longer positionally located at the throne of God. Do you know that Jesus is alive today? I know you know that, and you believe that. But do you know that he is alive in a physical body? And when we say that Jesus lives in our heart and Jesus is here present with us, we imply and we mean, according to Scripture, by his Holy Spirit. He is physically located at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He's still in that resurrected body. But here we see that that physical location has, has moved. This is his second coming. And it says in, in this picture that John sees, in this vision that he sees, uh, it says, Behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion. In Psalm chapter 2, the psalm that says God sits in the heavens and laughs, it says in verse 6 of Psalm 2, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. And then open up Psalm, while I'm in the Psalms, go ahead and open up Psalm 24 also. So let's talk for just a minute about the 144,000. When we were in Revelation chapter 7, we already saw these 144,000. And we, I talked a lot about them in that, in that lesson. And I talk, told you that this number is symbolic, uh, like most all the numbers in the book of Revelation, because it's a prophetic book and a poetic book. And 144,000 is 12 times 12 times 1,000. And 12 and 12 are symbolic for the saints of the Old Testament and the saints of the New Testament. They have the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And I told you then that that's not something that I'm just making up. It's used throughout the book of Revelation. And we see it in the New Jerusalem. There are 12 gates, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel going in to the New Jerusalem. And there are 12 foundation stones, the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Uh, that the city that of New Jerusalem is built on. When we get to that in Revelation 21, we, we will see that. And a thousand is a number that's symbolic of a great multitude. So this is that great multitude of all the saints. Uh, back over in Revelation chapter 7, there's a list of the tribes. It says that there are 12,000 uh, from each tribe of Israel. And in that list, we talked about why Judah is the first tribe and how that is speaking of Jesus Christ ruling and reigning. And I went into the story of Genesis, uh, how Judah laid down his life to save Benjamin, his brother, when he didn't know that Joseph uh, was his brother. And uh, Joseph demanded that Benjamin be left there. And he said unto him uh, to, to uh, allow uh, his own life to be taken in the place uh, of Benjamin's, if you remember. And that was a moment of redemption in Judah's private and personal life, but also the moment when he became the, the uh, Old Testament type of the ruler. And then the ruling uh, scepter, the rod, was the rule was given to him by Jacob in Genesis chapter 49. And in his prophetic word that he spoke to him, he said that you will rule Judah, you will rule until Shiloh comes. And Shiloh is speaking of the Messiah. And so here we have the Messiah coming. And the ruling uh, rod and scepter is given over unto him. We also see in that list of 12 tribes in Revelation chapter 7 that Dan is excluded. Dan is excluded from that. And I talked with you about how Genesis 49 
in the word that Jacob spoke to Dan. Jacob told him that Dan will be a serpent in the way. And Dan is the tribe that led the other 10 tribes into idolatry. It's the tribe of idolatry. And then we also saw in there that Joseph is mentioned as one of the 12 tribes, even though Joseph is not one of the 12 tribes. His two sons are, the, are two of the 12 tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. But we talked about how we see the double portion that's given to Jesus Christ in that. So everything that's there in Revelation 7 related to these 144,000 is a type and a picture of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ redeemed uh, by his blood. And it says there that there is a great multitude which no one can count. No one can count. Now, it would take a long time, but each one of us in this room are capable of counting to 144,000. It would take a long time, though. But that's another word that shows us that this number is symbolic. Jesus called it, they were called 144,000, but it's actually a great multitude that, that no one can count. And it says about them here in Revelation that the name of Jesus and the name of the Father, the name of Yahweh is upon their head, that they are purchased by the blood of Jesus and that they are completely blameless, that they sing a new song as a choir. And uh, in the Greek, the word new here is kinos, and it does not mean a, a young song. It means a fresh song, okay? It does not necessarily mean a song that's never been sung before, but perhaps a song that has not been heard in centuries before. It's a fresh song. It's a new song before the Lord. I don't have time to get off on it, but it's very much a part of New Testament worship to sing new songs before the Lord. And that does not, first and foremost, refer to us getting a new song and learning how to sing it, but a song by the Spirit, as the Spirit flows out of a person and he sings before the Lord. And if that's not a part of your private prayer life, you definitely should begin to make that a part of your private prayer life. Maybe if you're like me, you don't want to sing in front of everybody, maybe we should be singing before the Lord. And so they're singing this new song as a choir and, uh, and they're singing uh, before the uh, elders, they're singing before the living creatures, they're singing before the throne of God, but they stand on Mount Zion. So what do we see here also? Remember we've been talking about this great divorce. Now we see this great marriage beginning here in chapter 14. And that's the picture that we're going to see leading up to the New Jerusalem, the Bride of Christ. There's a joining of Mount Zion to the throne of God in heaven. A joining between earth and heaven here that we have not seen before in the book of Revelation. In fact, what we've seen before in the book of Revelation is this dividing, this dividing. And now we see this joining as Jesus is coming back. As it says in the epistles of Paul, that we shall be gathered to meet him in the air. And so we shall always be with him in that great gathering. There's a joining together. So that's a part of this picture. Now go with me over to Psalm 24, because it talks about them here in chapter 14 as being blameless as being blameless, that they're not defiled by women, they've kept themselves chaste, they follow the Lamb wherever He goes, they've been purchased from among men, they're, that they're blameless. There is no lie found in their mouth, and they are blameless. And wow, could you imagine being a people in whose mouth there is no lie found? 
I believe that God is purifying us for that very purpose. Able to purify our hearts that we would not be liars. <laughs> that we would not be people who are afraid of the truth. And that we would not be people who walk in condemnation and guilt and cover ourselves with fig leaves. But we would be a people purchased by the blood of the Lamb who walk in the purity of His way and in His truth. Because I'm telling you, we dwell in a society of liars. Everything around us is a lie. And if we would be those in whose mouth no lie is found, then we will not be amongst the popular. We will not be allowed to buy and sell. We will not be allowed to do many things. But we will be joined to our King, to Jesus. So look at me at Psalm 24. It's a psalm that everybody knows, I think. The Psalm of David. It says, The earth is the Lord. Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. So it all belongs to him, not the beast. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Oops. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? So first he says the whole earth belongs to the Lord. But his hill, Mount Zion, is above the earth, the highest point of the earth. It's the launching point to heaven, the place where heaven and earth are joined. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? So there's a bridge between earth and heaven. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, that bridge is the blood of Jesus. That bridge is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only one who can cross over, the only one who can ascend into that place is the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. And we know from the scripture and from personal experience, that that's none of us except by the blood of Jesus. They are purchased by the blood of the Lamb. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, there's no lie found in their mouths, who has not sworn deceitfully. It's a very powerful one. We live in, in a world, in a society that swears deceitfully, constantly. And no longer can you trust anyone. Even if you have a signed piece of paper, people swear deceitfully. He shall receive, that person shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O gates. This is a word to our church today. Be lifted up, O ancient doors that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. By the way, I like that. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, that the King of glory come in, may come in. I always get this picture of like a barge coming into the church or some huge ship or some huge truck coming in or something, you know, with Jesus on top of it and the doorway that we have isn't nearly big enough and so we see him coming down the street. We're busting out the door, lifting up the heads, getting the gates out of the way. We have to make room for Jesus to come into our lives. We have to make room for Jesus to come into our church. We have to make room for Jesus to come into our country today. And everything is being done to cast off his bonds and to shut the door for him. But the church needs to stand in a place of spiritual warfare, really. A place where we stand 
to make a way for Jesus to come in, that he can come into this place. Who is this king of glory? And if we feel like we're too, too few to do that, Elijah was doing it all by himself. He wasn't really, but as far as he knew, he thought he was doing it all by himself, and he was still doing it. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory, Selah. And so we have these people who have ascended into the hill of the Lord because they have clean hands of pure heart, because there's no lie found in their mouth. And they receive a blessing from the Lord, and they open the door for Jesus to come in. Remember in Revelation, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. They hear the knocking of Jesus, and they go up into Mount Zion and open the door to receive Jesus in, into the earth. And these are those who are pure before the Lord. They have clean hands, it says. That means that they have not been defiled, in Revelation it says. They have not been defiled. The word defiled means to be polluted. Literally, you could read this, it sounds kind of creepy, maybe or weird, but literally you could read this from the Greek as they have not soiled themselves, because that's how strong that word is. And I'm using polite language for this. They have not been defiled. They have not polluted themselves. They have not soiled themselves. They're not like muddy shoes that have been walking all over Babylon and getting the mud of Babylon all over themselves and tracking it through the church. They are clean. They have come out of Babylon. They are virgins, it says. Now, does this mean that every Christian will be an unmarried virgin? Of course, it does not mean that. That wouldn't even uh, work in, in the context of Scripture. But if you'll recall, this is talking about a marriage supper. This is what we're leading up to. Everything changes here at chapter 14. We're talking about a wedding. And they are, by the blood of Jesus and in the eyes of God, so purely dedicated to him that they have not joined themselves to the whore of Babylon. They've not gone down to the brothel of Babylon. They are undefiled. They have kept themselves chaste for Jesus Christ. Look with me at um, Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel chapter 18. In Ezekiel 18, verse 14, it says, uh, okay, so i got to give you the context. You can read the whole thing yourself later. But it's, a, it's one of the scriptures that talks about how they had a proverb in Israel that the fathers eat the sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. And uh, meaning that our fathers committed all this sin and we're the ones getting punished for it. And in this chapter, it's one of the places in, in the Old Testament where God says that no longer will you say that, that every person will pay for his own sin. That you will not pay for the sin of your fathers, and the fathers will not pay for the sin of their sons. And by the way, just so you know, uh, in the ancient world, in most legal systems in the ancient world, you would pay for the sin of your father. You know, you've probably seen movies in medieval times where a whole family is cut off because of, of one person. Those kinds of things still happen today. But this was a very radical uh, establishment of, of, of good law that God was establishing in Israel. And so when we come to verse 14, um, I'm just going to start there. It says, now behold, he has a son. So the father did wrong or did right, whatever you read the whole thing. And it says that the father has a son. 
who has observed all his father's sins, which he committed. Where it says observed, that doesn't mean it's in the numeric standard. That doesn't mean that he did those things. It means that he saw his father doing those things. He, he saw all his father's sins, which he committed. And seeing them, he did not do them himself. He did not repeat those things. Don't believe the lie of a generational curse. I'm not saying that generational curses cannot exist. But in Christ Jesus, they are all broken. And it's a complete lie to say that my life has to be messed up because my mom and dad were so bad. That's, that's not redemption. And so he saw all those sins, but he did not do them. It says in verse 15, he does not eat at the mountain shrines or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel or defile his neighbor's wife or oppress anyone or retain a pledge or commit robbery, but he gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with clothing. He keeps his hand from the poor, uh, which means he doesn't offend the poor with his hands. He doesn't strike them, hit them, beat them up. He does not take interest or increase, but he executes my ordinances and walks in my statutes. He will not die for his father's iniquity. He will surely live. And as for his father, because he practiced extortion, robbed his brother, and did what was not good among his people, behold, he will die for his iniquity. So you could imagine that there would be people amongst the 144,000, just as there are today, uh, who would be joined to Christ, that there would be relatives of theirs or close friends of theirs who are joined to the Antichrist. And that's the decision that has to be made by every person. Which side am I on? Which, which one will I follow? And so these are like this, this son that's mentioned in Ezekiel. They have not joined themselves to the war of Babylon. They have separated themselves. In Psalm 24, it says the pure of heart. So it talks about being having clean hands, not being defiled. And it talks about having a pure heart. Well, that's echoed in Revelation 14 by this phrase. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. That's one of my favorite phrases in the Bible. <laughs> it sounds like Mary had a little lamb. I mean, it's just so simple, but the lamb's not following Mary. Mary's following the lamb. I mean, what, what, what better motto could we have for our lives? It sounds just a kindergartner, a preschooler can, can understand that. I just follow the lamb wherever he goes. What are you doing? I'm just following the lamb wherever he goes. Well, can you explain to me theologically? Not really. I don't know what the 666 is. I don't know all this kind of stuff. I'm trying to get it, but I do know this. I'm following the lamb wherever he goes. Then, you know, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? And the world wants these explanations that sometimes we're not ready to give. I can't explain to you why, except for this. The lamb didn't go there, and I'm following the lamb wherever he goes. I'm following the lamb wherever he goes. So their hearts are pure, like children. And then it says in Psalm 24 that they've not lifted up their soul to falsehood nor sworn deceitfully. And here it says that no lie is found in their mouths. Look with me over to Zephaniah, Zephaniah, not Zechariah, Zephaniah in chapter 3. Zephaniah in chapter 3. Right before Haggai, which is right before Zechariah. Zephaniah chapter 3. And in verse 12, it says, But I will leave among you a humble and lowly people. Jesus said, The meek shall inherit the earth. Not the proud, 
but the meek. I will leave among you a humble and lowly people, and they will take refuge in the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord is on their forehead. The remnant of Israel will do no wrong and tell no lies, nor will deceitful tongue be found in their mouths, for they will feed and lie down like sheep in a pasture. This is speaking about our church today. It's speaking about our lives today. It's speaking about what God is doing right now in Israel amongst the Jews and will be doing more of in the last days. But we are a part of this. A meek, a humble, a lowly people who will inherit the earth. And the, the hallmark of those people is they, they have clean hands. They don't do wrong to other people. They don't beat up the poor and steal things away from them. And they don't tell lies. You know, they, they, they are an honest people. They are people who, who love the truth. And then look with me at Malachi chapter 2. It also talks about them being priests before God. The last, chap, the last book of the Old Testament in Malachi chapter 2 it says in verse 6, remember that these 144,000, they are priests before God. It says in verse 6 of Malachi chapter 2, true instruction, speaking about Aaron the priest, true instruction was in his mouth and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. That should be a description of us. Remember it says in the New Testament, you should all be teachers by this time. Enough time has gone by that you should all be instructors of others. There's someone who needs to be taught by you. True instruction was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not founded on his lips. So that means he didn't get his instruction from the Christian bookstore, unless he got a Bible out of there. He didn't get his instruction from self-help books. He didn't get his instruction from YouTube. He got his instruction from the Bible. He got his instruction from the Word of God, because this is true instruction. It's in his mouth, and I'm not knocking Christian books that are based on the Bible, but it comes from the Bible. True instruction was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many back from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger, New American Standard Hebrew. He is the angel of the Lord of hosts. He is the angel of the Lord of hosts. We talked about that verse when we made reference to the angel of each of the seven churches that the letter is, is sent to. We have been placed here as his ambassadors. We have been placed here as his angels. Each one of these passages of scripture that we've read and we've looked at are all saying the same thing. They're talking about the character of the 144,000. We need to see ourselves in that number because that's who we are. And if we're saying tonight, well, that's not exactly me yet. Well, you know what? That's where he's getting us, okay? That he's washing our clothes, that they would be white, and that they would be pure, and that we would be prepared for the coming of the Lord. That we would be prepared in keeping ourselves for our husband. Now, for us men, that might not be as easy an example to understand. I don't know. But if you want to switch it over to wife, then that's okay. Go ahead and do that. You know, but just that holiness of the miracle covenant. You know, it doesn't mean that there's no temptations. Plenty of temptations around in life. But there's a reason to keep yourself. There's a reason to be dedicated to Jesus. Because only there's salvation only in his name. And only he loves us. I mean, I'm not going to 
sell myself out to some beast that just wants to rip my life to pieces. I mean, really, I'm not going to do it. And if I have any doubt about it, I'm just going to follow the lamb. You know, I don't have to understand if that shot you want to give me works, or I don't have to understand if this thing you need me to sign in blood on is, is going to be good or not. If I see the lamb telling me, don't go there because I'm not going there, I'm just not going there. Because I would rather die from some disease or not be able to buy or sell than to betray the lamb. That's what we see with these 144,000. Now, let's go on just a little bit. I don't chapter 14, but let's take on this next verses at least. Begin with verse 6. It says, And I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth. This is very interesting. Because nowhere in the Bible up until this moment do we see an angel preaching the gospel. Think about that. People preach the gospel. Okay? But here comes an angel. He's flying in the mid-heaven. He has an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, now listen to his gospel. Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and sea and springs of water. And another angel, a second one, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment, it's still the angel talking, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Well, that's the second time we've seen this phrase. Here is the perseverance of the saints. And what he's saying is kind of what I just said, that there's a reason to keep ourselves chaste, a reason to keep ourselves dedicated to Jesus. This is the perseverance of the saints. Know this. It's been recorded for us 2,000 years ago almost. And it will be spoken by an angel when he flies in the mid-heaven, a warning that is sounded to us today that there is a reason not to receive the mark of the beast. There is a reason, even if it means you can't buy or sell, even if it means you get excommunicated from your family, even if it means you lose your job, that's a whole lot better than going, being cast into the lake of fire with the devil and his angels. And the word is spoken. It doesn't say there's any option here. You know, I mean, God in his mercy is beyond my understanding, so I don't put the judgment out, only God can do that. But this is God's word. He says, if you receive that mark, then there's no salvation for you. It's done. So that's kind of scary. It's really scary. But it's, it's so scary that it should cause us to have this perseverance of the saints. That if we have to go through suffering, if we have to go through persecution, even if we are put to death for our faith, it's only for a short period of time. The reward is for all of eternity. But uh, if we want to eat 
the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil with the Antichrist, then the death is for all of eternity also. And there's a lot of people in modern Christendom, and I'm talking about pastors, preachers, writers, that try to tone down the, the whole lake of fire thing. You know, and try to make it like, well, it's not eternal. Da, 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 da. Uh, we don't want to scare people. We want to preach the gospel to them. The gospel's good news. Really? I mean, it does mean good news, but here's the gospel being preached that's scary. So <laughs> it's not just all, you know, lollipops and everything's going to be great. I mean, the whole meaning of gospel uh, in the ancient world and the, for the Greeks, when somebody was an evangelist and he preached the gospel before it took on a religious meaning, it meant the herald that went before the conquering hero. He went before the conquering general or the conquering king, and he entered into the town before the conqueror showed up, and he told the people, you better get on the side of the conqueror because he's coming, and when he gets here, if you're not on his side, he's going to kill you. I mean, that's what the gospel was. It was good news if you're on his side. It's really bad news if you're not on his side. But So it's, it's this good news, and this is the gospel they're preaching. So there are three messages that are being preached. And we see that even at this last moment in time, there's still an opportunity for people to repent. There's still a warning going out to them. And not only that, but God chose to have that recorded 2,000 years ago. So anybody could just open the book of Revelation and read it and, and, and believe it if they, if they just would. And the three messages are this. The first one is fear God and worship Him because He is the Creator and he has power over all the kingdom of the dragon. And if anything the devil's been doing, he's only been doing it because God's allowed it to go. But now he's not allowing it anymore. Number two, Babylon is doomed. And we're going to get more of Babylon, so I'm not going to focus on it tonight because there's a whole chapter about that. But Babylon is doomed, okay, uh, because of her immorality. The Greek word immorality is pornea. And it applies to all forms of sexual immorality, and it's our entire society that we live in. It just makes me want to vomit, literally, the things that our government is putting out now and under the guise of righteousness, and it's utter pornography. It is. It just is. And, 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 and that is Babylon, and she is doomed. So get out of her, it, it tells us. And the third message is that if you worship the beast and receive his mark, then you're doomed together with him, and you will endure the seven bowls of God's wrath that are going to be poured out and cast into the lake of fire, because that's what's coming to the seven bowls of his wrath. Well, let me just take five minutes, okay, to finish this. I'm not going to read those verses just because our time is running out, um, but I, I want to tell you about them. It's verses 14 through 20, okay? And you, you can read them, and you can read them while I'm talking about it. You can read them at home. But at the end of this chapter, we have two harvests, okay? There are two sickles that are put into the earth to reap the harvest. There are two separate harvests. There's the harvest of the wheat and the harvest of the tares. Remember the parable of Jesus? That you can't tell them apart until the last day, and then I will send my angels to harvest. And they will take those terrors and they will cast them into the fire. And remember, we don't have to try to scrunch this into some neat Western chronology. These are pictures and visions being given to John that all relate to the second coming of Jesus. But there are two harvests. So the first harvest we see is that someone 
who is like the Son of Man, it says. The Greek word there is homios. He's exactly like the Son of Man. In other words, John's saying, that one I'm saying, I'm pretty sure that's Jesus there. But the first one is the one who's like the Son of Man. And he comes on a cloud in glory to rule as a king. So this is Jesus coming. And when he comes, he tells an angel uh, that the harvest is ripe. If the harvest is ripe, that means there's no more time for repentance. It's over. That's it. It's, it's time. And he tells the angel to harvest the fruit of the earth to himself. Jesus tells the angel to harvest the fruit to himself. So the first harvest that we see here is what I'm going to call the good harvest. Okay, And we're talking about the first resurrection. And we're talking about what we usually call the rapture. If you are alive and you've remained until the second coming of Jesus, then you don't die. Your body will be changed instantly. And it will be gathered to meet him in the cloud. You'll be gathered from Mount Zion to meet him in the cloud. Okay? And if you've died in Christ, and this is going all the way back to Adam and Eve, if you've died in faith, you will be resurrected in this first resurrection. And you will be resurrected first. And then we who are alive and remain in the twinkling of an eye, in the split second, we will be changed. We won't even know what happened. We will have resurrected bodies. Okay? And we physically, in resurrected bodies, will meet Jesus in the air. That's what the Bible says. And come back together with him. So that's the first harvest. The second harvest, there's an angel from the temple in heaven. And uh, he's told by the angel that comes from the altar where the fire of God is, okay? He's told to gather the remaining grapes of the earth into the great winepress of God's wrath, okay? And this second harvest is what we usually refer to as Armageddon, and there's gonna be more information on this coming up in the book of Revelation. And so they're not called tares here, they're not called weeds here, they're called grapes, and there's a reason for that. We still use that kind of terminology today, treading the wine press, because grapes give out blood. And it's talking about war, and it's talking about their death, and that they will be gathered, all the nations of the earth, into this great wine press in the valley of Megiddo, what we call Armageddon, Armageddon, and they will be trampled out by Jesus Christ. He will trample out these grapes of wrath, to use a phrase that is often used in literature and music in the United States of America. We know what that means. They will be trampled out. So the second harvest is what we might call the bad harvest, in the sense of you don't want to be at the second harvest, you want to be in the first harvest. But again, there are only two harvests. You're either on one side or you're on the other side. And it says that this will happen outside the city. So it will happen outside the city of Jerusalem. And it says, if you have a New American standard like me, or you have some other modern version. I heard some people talking about King James today. Well, some things the King James does great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I gotta tell you. One of the things they do is that old English, it uses these and that. Yeah. And the good thing about that is you can tell when you is singular and when it's plural, and it follows the Greek exactly. You can't do that with you because it's either singular or plural, we don't know. But another thing it does great is some of these phrases are translated a little bit more out. So my Bible, it says that the blood will flow for 200 miles. But that's not what it says in the Greek. Okay? But I don't know. If you, if you have that, it says, uh, 
And the wine press was trodden outside the city, and blood came out from the wine press, the last verse, up to the horse's bridle for a distance of 200 miles. Well, what they've done is translated the Greek into American uh, terminology, not even European, say kilometers, but it says 200 miles. But in the Greek, it says 1,600 stadia, yeah. 1,600 stadia. Again, the symbolism is lost if we lose the number 1,600, because the number 1,600 is 40 times 40, and 40 is the number of trial and judgment in the scripture. Jesus is tried, tempted, tested for 40 days in the wilderness, right? Moses fasts for 40 days. And for 40 days, the oldest Testament, old, oldest Old Testament story, for 40 days the flood comes upon the earth. So this 40 times 40 shows the ultimate, the final judgment being poured out on this earth. The blood will flow for 1,600 stadia up to the bridle of the horse. The bridle is a symbol of the tongue in Scripture, and the horse is a symbol of military might. In the Scripture, it would be the same as saying our tanks today or something like that, because it was the symbol of military might. And so this final judgment being poured out on the slander, on the curses of the dragon and his beasts, and this final judgment being poured out on the entire industrial, military, complex of all nations of all the world that's been we've been killing each other all of these years and trying to control everything that goes on in the world and so all the judgment comes on there at Armageddon as Jesus comes back but we'll have a lot more about that coming up later so the next chapter is going to lead us into the final um, bowls of wrath more information on the on Armageddon on the doom of Babylon and leading up to the second coming of Jesus. Amen. Frank? Oh, wait, wait. Don't cut it yet. Did you cut it? No. Very good. I have a question. Well, okay, in my double NIV study, and mine says the 1600 strata, and in the note it says the approximate length of the whole land from the north to the south. That's an interesting note. Yeah, because there would be completion from yeah. the north to the south of God's yeah. holy land. That's a good one. That's really cool, huh? Yeah. That's a good one. Mine's a 1600. Okay. So, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word this evening. Let's pray that you seal these things in our heart, Lord. So many mysteries, things that seem mysterious, but well, there, there are those mysteries between uh, two young people preparing for marriage, between a bride and her groom, things that they can't put into words, songs that nobody else can learn. We get old and we tend to forget those feelings and those things, Lord, but we read this and help us to remember that, Lord, because well, first of all, it's what we need in our marriages today. <laughs> we need this in our relationship with you, Jesus, that we would have this romance, this divine romance, that we would really be in love with you, Lord, and so sold out to you that it wouldn't even be, it wouldn't even be a real temptation for us to ever take the mark of the beast or ever muddy or soil our feet in the kingdom of Babylon, Lord, that we 
just want to be with you, Jesus. We believe that you are coming soon, and you taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray that this evening, in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. Before you leave, we want to remind you that if you want to continue receiving updates on new sermons, that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at urintonvinionfellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF Podcast.